As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. We play the long game. It's building relationships. It's not about transactions. It's not about selling this one deal. It's learning if this is a good fit with people. And then if it is, then talking about it at the relevant time. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners. Hello. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. The longest running daily real estate podcast in the world. That's right. In the world. And today, well, it's Friday. You made it to the end of your week. Congratulations. And because it's Friday, we're doing Follow Along Friday, where I talk today with my friend Theo Hicks, who's the co-author of the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever book, Volume 1, with me, as well as a successful podcaster. He has a podcast called Unplugged. Go check that out. The reason to check it out 
is to learn how certain things in your life that you come across, the perception that you initially have about them after listening to his podcast, you might have a different perception or perspective. That's one takeaway I always get listening to his podcast, so go check that out. Now, today, our conversation is going to be focused around what I got going on in my business as a real estate entrepreneur and investor because I'm a full-time investor and I think some things that are happening this past week and what I'm up to this coming week will be beneficial to you. So with that being said, first, let's welcome the co-host of today's show. How are you doing, Theo Hicks? I'm doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to learning about your very busy week you just had. Yes, yes. It was a very busy week. I got back on Saturday afternoon and I was in Texas in Dallas Wednesday through Saturday. I met with investors. I toured two properties. One of them we have under contract, the 298 unit in Dallas. And another one that we're in best and final on, so I'm not going to give too many details on that. And there's an interesting story about the limited partner that we're bringing in for that deal. Remind me to talk about that. I also hung out with my family, my mom. My dad actually is in Michigan right now because my grandma, who will be 101 in August, had gallbladder surgery to get a gallbladder removed. And as of now, things went according to plan and she's recovering. So he went up to Michigan for that. So I missed my dad. And my sister was at a real estate agent convention in Las Vegas. So I missed her, but I did see my brother-in-law and my nephew and my brother and my mom. So that was cool. So yeah, it, it was a good trip. And one takeaway, there's many takeaways, but one in particular is I met with one investor. And there's a couple different stories I want to talk about that happened on this trip. But I met with one investor and he talked about how he wanted to be very active. He wanted to show up at the property at 8 a.m. and do what he could to help out. And he said, I just want to get this out there. Like, this is the approach I want. And when I give you my money, and I'm thinking, this is not the type of investor I want in our deals because yeah. one, you're not giving me your money, you're investing the money. And what I have is something that beats the heck out of most investments out there both from a profitability standpoint and then also from a risk mitigation standpoint. But I can get past that. But the second thing is his desire in wanting to be actively involved. We bring in passive real estate investors. We don't bring in people who are active because quite frankly, it's a liability where if someone was on the property and in the deal and they trip, fell, or just shot someone or push someone in a pool and they died. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could happen. And it's just a liability and would be a headache, not to mention the babysitting that would be required to have someone in a deal who wants that type of involvement. And by the way, I'm totally cool with someone having that as their goal. Because first and foremost, you should identify what your goals are and then work to accomplish them. But this just isn't the right fit. And after he explained that, there's two or three people sitting around the table. 
everyone looked at me like, okay, how's Joe going to respond? I said, this deal is definitely not for you. And in fact, this structure for how I structure it with investors is definitely not for you. And it felt so good to say that. Yeah. Because first I'm thinking about what he needs. And that's not this. I said, you should do a joint venture with someone so that you can get the type of exposure that you want because it's just not going to work with how you described. And um, so that was nice, both for him and for me, because I've reached that point in my investor pipeline where I can feel really good about having that conversation. Because let's be frank here. On my first deal, if an investor were to come to me and say that, I would have been like, okay, well, how can I make this work? Okay, I'll do 8 a.m. calls every day with this person for an investment of $50,000 that they're going to put in. And I will have maybe weekly conference calls with the management company and them because I want to make sure I deliver. I can't build my business around that way. So that's number one. On the flip side, and this is a story I, I mentioned, on that other deal that I'm in best and final on, that investor who's in that deal, it's just one investor he's bringing in all the equity for it. And there's pros and cons for me as a multifamily syndicator to only work with one investor versus 50 investors on a deal. Pro for working one investor is it's one conversation and it's super simple. The con would be that when I bring in 50 people, there's 50 people having positive word of mouth about what we're doing. And there's a gigantic ripple effect as a result of that. Whereas if I bring in one person, then you're basically doing a deal in a silo. You're just doing a deal with one person and the the word of mouth is less. Now it could be argued that, but the word of mouth from this individual who has capital to put into a deal at that level would be just as good as 50 people at smaller levels. And you know that's debatable. But that individual, guess how he initially was introduced to me? I was going to ask you, was it through your podcast? I was interviewed on another podcast. He heard it and he reached out to me through the contact us page on my website, joefairless.com. That's crazy. Who would have thought? It's just You got this podcast right here, getting stuff through it and you go on someone else's podcast and you get business through that. And it kind of just, just shows how important it is to get your name and your business and your ideas and your philosophies just out to touch as many people as possible. Yeah, exactly. It blew my mind. He's listened to my podcast as well, but he was first introduced to me by me being on someone else's podcast. It goes to show you, yeah, like you said, you got to have multiple marketing methods. We're in the business of matching up money with deals. At a very high level, that's all we got to do. Match up the money with the deal. And with the money and with the deal, we've got to have multiple ways of getting leads and then delivering on the expectations of those channels or the businesses within those channels and then driving word of mouth as a result of that. So I didn't know he's invested in a couple other deals that I've done. And I never asked that question, but we had dinner in Dallas at some Mexican restaurant. And 
he told me that and kind of in passing because I never thought to ask. And I was like, man, that's crazy. And for anyone curious, it was Marco Santorelli's podcast, who is a kind of a, a turnkey provider for single family homes. Marco Santorelli, based in California, he's actually Narada Real Estate Investments, has been a sponsor on the show. And Marco was a guest on the show many, many episodes ago. I think he's in the first 100 or 200 episodes. So really interesting stuff. I think Marco is going to be in the next volume of the book. I remember sending out a waiver to him. But that dinner you had with the investor, I'd be curious. So was was your intentions? What were your intentions going into that dinner? I mean, I doubt your intentions were to get him to be one investor for one specific deal. And it kind of turned into that. But I'm just curious to see what it, when, when you have dinners like this with investors, kind of what's your game plan going in or is there a game plan? Well, I'll answer the question, but then I'll clarify something first. He had already said he was going to be in a, the single investor in the deal. The next deal, he wanted to be the only limited partner. And in deals, actually, we've been looking for deals for him. And he was just down there looking at the deal in person. But as far as how I approach investor conversations. I never, ever, ever, ever am focused on getting them to invest. I am focused on just learning about them, enjoying our time together. That's it. If I'm having fun, I suspect they're having fun. And I genuinely like to learn from other people and their life experiences. I just naturally ask a lot of questions because I just want to learn from people because I believe, and this goes to the heart of the whole podcast, I believe that I can learn something from everyone, whether it's how to do something or how not to do something. (laughs) And especially if someone at this level who has this type of capital to invest, I certainly can learn something from him. So My approach was very straightforward. It was, let's just hang out. I will answer all the business-related questions, but then I would just want to build a friendship. And that's what we did and had a great time. And one of my current investors, who's also a client of mine, he introduced me to two other people that he knows just because he thought the current deal that I'm working on would be of interest to them. Well, I met one of them in person and we had just a great time. He actually owns a Chick-fil-A franchise. Oh, nice. And that whole business model is completely different from any other franchise business model, by the way. I'll just give high level for what is publicly available because he shared some things in confidence. I will not share that. But from a public level, you can find this. And that is that they simply do profit sharing So you're not an owner of the business, but rather you are basically an employee with profit sharing capabilities and upside on it. So when you pass away, then they plug in someone else and that individual has a profit sharing too. So really interesting stuff versus the traditional franchise model. I met with him. We talked all about his business, which I found freaking fascinating with Chick-fil-A franchising as well as just other things, you know, family, kids, backgrounds for both of us. We had lunch. And at the very end, we talked maybe 5% of the conversation was about the deal. 
And that was it. And I'm cool with that because as Tim Ferriss talks about, we play the long game. It's building relationships. It's not about transactions. It's not about selling this one deal. It's learning if this is a good fit with people. And then if it is, then talking about it at the relevant time. But I've learned that bringing in investors into your deals, you're going into business with them and they're trusting you with the investment money that they put into the deal. So you've got to have good rapport and a good relationship with them. And you've got to be able to, quite frankly, like them. Because if you don't like them, then it's going to be tough to have ongoing communication with someone that you don't enjoy talking to. So that's really critical. And afterwards, I got an email from the gentleman, my client, uh, slash current investor with me, who introduced me to this person. And he said that his friend really appreciated that I didn't try to sell anything, that it was more just getting to know each other. And fortunately for me, that wasn't forced. I didn't have to make a, a conscious effort because subconsciously that's just how I operate. I don't operate with the sales mentality. I operate with friendships and building relationships. And in the long run, that pays off. Short run, when you're first getting going, it can be challenging. But when you play the long game like that, you get referrals and it pays off exponentially. What are some, I guess, tips or techniques that, that you used in order? Because you kind of just mentioned that your philosophy works a lot better in the long run, whereas the high pressure sales tactics that you see a lot of people talking about is more of a short term thing. And then you know, long term wise, it's not so well. What are some things that you did that kind of made you able to, to keep pushing when you weren't seeing those short term results? Mm-hmm. When you first started talking to investors, you first started doing this. It can be for this or just just in general. I'm just curious to see how you mentally process that and if it was tough, if it was easy. Yeah, it is tough. And the important thing is to be able to have something that you can offer the people who you're meeting. Now, for any accredited investor who I speak to and who says, hey, I'm interested, I get their mailing address and I mail them a signed copy of our book. That allows me to instantly give them something. Additionally, though, I didn't mention this, but additionally with this conversation with this gentleman I just met who was introduced to me, I also offered, because I heard more about his family and what they're doing, and I also offered to help out one of his family members through the connections I have. And that's the type of stuff that when I was just getting started, I would still do, but I didn't have quite the power of as much of a robust network. So I had to be a little bit more resourceful and crafty. So maybe instead of offering them a copy of the book, I would offer maybe an introduction to someone. Or actually, quite frankly, it used to be, it was just introductions. I didn't really have a whole lot else to offer. And that usually helps play the long game, even when you're struggling with just putting food on the table and getting a deal done. So, you know, it's keeping the the long game in mind. So for best ever listeners, everyone who's just starting out, keep the long game in mind and do introductions by genuinely caring about what their challenges are and what their family and friends' challenges are that they discuss with you. 
And then as you're able to do that and you're able to grow, then you can perhaps start doing more tangible gifts like books that you write or other things. Who knows? Flowers when a baby's born, which is something I sent out to a client of mine who uh, just had a baby. So, you know, there's there's all, all sorts of things that, that you can do that cost maybe 25, 50 bucks. But in the long run, my gosh, it's going to return big time. And there's a book called uh, The Power of Persuasion. I just read it like a month ago. And one of the things he talks about in there, it's proven, science proven, is that when you give someone something, we have the natural tendency to pay back in a much greater way than the value of the initial gift. So there's some psychology that's working too on this when you give them, say, a book of yours that you know, cost 15 bucks and $5 a ship, $20, then they like the deal, but then also they got the driving force of, well, he, I remember he gave me something, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, so they're more inclined to invest. And on a $50,000 investment, I'm going to be making more from that than what I invested in sending that out to them. Yeah, I remember a couple other things along those lines that I've heard from listening to some of your podcasts. And I think one that I really liked was the guy, I can't remember what episode it was, and I don't know who to give this credit to, but he sends out like those custom notepads that has his name and contact information. So it's something that they're going to use constantly. And so they keep using it over and over and over again. And every time they rip off a note and have a new one come up, it's got Joe Fairless and Joe Fairless's email address and mm-hmm. his last name on there. So that, when I saw that, I thought that was neat. And maybe someday I'll do that. And I think something else that you did, since I'm kind of going back through some of your older podcasts right now, is you offered free shout out on your podcast to kind of get the word out there for their business. And I thought that was pretty cool too, because if you kind of break it down and think about it, you're doing that for them. I think that definitely shines through if you're, because I mean, you can give out your free books. And you can do it with the intentions of doing it for yourself or you can do it with the intentions of truly trying to help the other person. And I think that those intentions shine through when you actually kind of go through with that act. Absolutely. As long as you go about it genuinely, then you're good. It's when you start forcing it, just like when you're forcing a sale or you're forcing a relationship. If you're not coming from a place of genuineness, then it's trouble and then abort and reassess and look at the things you have in common with this individual and then build back up from there. It's kind of the way that I look at it. It's like you got to get out of your own head. Like when you're having that conversation with that investor at the Chick-fil-A restaurant, if you're stuck in your own head and worried about what they're thinking about you or worried about asking the right questions or worrying about how you're going to get your result in this conversation and stuff like that, then you're not going to act correctly. Whereas if you're genuinely like outside of your own head and you're kind of putting yourself in their shoes they have a perspective too they're also thinking the same thing that i'm thinking right now and that kind of helps at least for me diffuse the situation a little bit and diffuse the tension of just meeting somebody new and it makes it a lot more of a relaxed conversation and then once you're relaxed your authenticity can kind of shine through and you can actually genuinely seem and be curious and the questions that those curious questions just kind of come up naturally instead of you having to kind of actually think, you know, think like, okay, what am I going to ask next? Like, what am I going to say next? I hope mm-hmm. this doesn't go bad or wrong. So that's something that I'm trying to adopt. And I'm sure you can speak on that as well. Yeah. And some people just flows. 
Others, it doesn't flow, but you can still be genuinely curious about what they're doing. And then other people, you just don't align with. And those are the people that you need to cut bait and go towards other people who you do align with. I gave the example of the gentleman, one of the people I met with in Dallas. It's just not a good fit. So, you know, it's feeling it out and knowing which direction to take and knowing that ultimately you're in the business of building relationships and playing the long game. And if you approach it that way, then you're going to build up a bunch of karma points, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And those karma points can be exchanged for dollars down the road. Well, that story you talked about, about the investor and the values not aligning is a video for this week. And I, when I listened to it, I thought that was like a really, really great story to tell because, and you kind of talked about it already. It's like, if that would have happened to you in the beginning, you wouldn't have had the experience to have the confidence to say no. And it seems like when people kind of first start off, at least for me, it's like, you want to just say yes to everything. Like they tell you just to say yes to every opportunity, no matter what. And that's kind of a blanket advice that you kind of hear. Whereas for you, you can see and realize now and have the ability to not say yes to everything because you know what the consequences are going to be down the line. And you're kind of, again, you can see further in the future instead of kind of like freezing up in that moment and just the fear of confrontation coming into play and just being like, I want to just do whatever I can to get out of the situation. I'm just going to say yes and see how it plays out. So that was really cool to see that you were like, you know, no, this is not aligning with my goals and my values. And I'm not going to sway just because opportunity comes up it's kind of like that shiny object syndrome that people talk about all the time so i thought that was really cool that you were actually able to do it and then as you said when you were done you're just like oh i felt so good to do that because <laughs> yeah <laughs> most of the time it's like a really hard thing to do i think yeah i agree and it's like i mentioned before it wouldn't have been something that i would have done on my first deal because i was just trying to make things happen but I would have found a way to have an 8 a.m. conference call. But what I realize now is if I were to do that with that one investor, then what's the opportunity cost? Well, there's a huge opportunity cost yeah. that I'm sacrificing, and that is those 30 minutes or an hour every single week could be put towards optimizing the performance of the property in meaningful ways, not babysitting ways with one person, but actually looking at the, the business plan of the actual property. It could be finding more deals. It could be having conversations with other investors. It could be doing this conversation I have with you on a podcast. It could be going to run for 30 minutes, yeah. you know, and, and being physically strong and staying physically strong. I mean, it, the opportunity cost just, that's one thing I look at in a lot of the decisions I make. And the, the cost greatly outweighs the opportunity in that example. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you can apply that exact same logic to just life in general. You yes. don't have to say yes to every single invitation for you know some t spending a weekend going to a wedding for someone you haven't seen in three years. Like, yeah, it's going to be tough and you want to go. But again, the, as you kind of said, the opportunity costs. And if you don't want to do it, then... Just say no and it'll, everything will be okay. Nothing bad is going to happen to you. <laughs> exactly. I, I had that conversation on my podcast with someone yesterday. We were talking about that. And that's something that she struggled with a lot. And then she finally got over it. And now her life is just so much better. And she feels so much better because she's not being fake and just saying yes to things just because she feels like she has to. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend for someone that's like, let's say it's someone's first time doing a syndication deal and they have a meeting with their first investor the syndicator has their business plan in mind and they got it from you and it's the same as yours and they face that situation where an investor 
has an idea of what they want or their expectations of what they want the deal to be like is different than yours. If it's your first time, would you recommend them taking the route you took recently? Which no, is no. no. Or would you recommend just like say yes, I, just I, do it, I, figure it out? A first deal, if you've got an investor who has the ability to fund the majority of the deal, then you mold the deal based on how they want to structure it and just get one under your belt and build some momentum. There's a lot of power and momentum. I've witnessed the power of momentum in very big ways with my podcast, doing it every single day for almost two years. And I've witnessed it in smaller ways with getting 10,000 steps on my Fitbit and then not getting it when I was in Dallas and now coming back, like, ah, do I really need 10,000 steps? Well, that's going to have dramatic implications on my life if I don't get back to the 10,000 steps a day because I'm getting more cardio, being more active, etc. So build the momentum. There's a lot of power in momentum. And especially, and even if it's not your first deal, even if it's your second, third, fourth, 20th deal, if they have enough capital, then you can structure it in any number of ways that fits what they're looking for. It's just if they're, in this case, you know, this investor is looking at $50,000, well, we're raising 5.6 million. Yeah. You know, so it's like not going to happen. But if the investor was bringing 5.6 million, then yeah, sure. We probably won't do morning calls every day. And quite frankly, someone with that money wouldn't want to do morning calls with me every Mm -hmm. single day. They got better things to do than have a conversation with me every day. And so do I. So there's always a solution. That's one core belief I have in my life is there's a solution to anything. It's just whether you like that solution or not. And if it aligns with the goals of everyone involved. That's the approach I would take. Try to make it work if they have a substantial amount of capital. If not, if they're bringing 25000 and you're looking to raise 500000 then revisit if they're a good fit for your deal. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You said something in there that I, th- I think is, well, I guess two things. One, the clarification of the fact that you know it, it's, it's not like a, an, a, an end-all, be-all statement where it's every situation, if it doesn't align with your values, you say no because in the beginning... You got to take what you can get so you can build up that momentum. And and the momentum thing is something that I recently just finally kind of had my mind-blowing epiphany on because I heard like an anecdote from your boy Tony Robbins. And I think he said something along the lines of, if you've got two people that are in a boat and they're they're sailing and then one of those people take like a slight one-degree turn to the right, as time goes on, they go hundreds and hundreds of miles. That one-degree turn after 100 miles, they're going to be so far apart because of the momentum and the whatever the term that he used was. I thought that was so interesting because yes. like one little tiny tweak today, like your 10,000 steps or saying no to that investor in your situation or a new guy saying yes to that investor in the situation, like the chain reaction that's going to come from that could just drastically change where your life's going to be 10 years down the road. Like it could just be uncomprehendable how much of a difference those tiny little one degree turns can make. And so when I heard Tony Robbins say that, I hear a lot of other people that kind of say it too. And they have that in their, as kind of you said, like unconscious, subconscious mind. That's just how they you know walk around. And so I think that's something that is just, is so profound and so huge. And if you can adopt that into your life, just that tiny little quotation into yep. your life, I mean, it's just, it's just a game changer. Those tiny little shifts, which all roads lead back to daily consistent action and then evaluating the effectiveness of that action. 
and the daily podcast is an example. It's opened up tons of doors for me. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, Dio. I really enjoyed hanging out with you again. We're working on a lot of projects. One of them you mentioned is volume two of the best real estate investing advice ever book. And that is going to go out oh January-ish of 2017. Mm-hmm. So we're working on getting waivers back from guests because we're going to donate all the sales money from the book, similar to what we're doing on volume one to charity. So we need people to sign off that that's cool with them. Therefore, we're identifying all the chapters and stuff. So we're in the process and excited about that, excited about doing some other things that we'll talk about on future shows together. Anything else before we sign off? What's the best way the best ever listeners can get in contact with you, Theo? I've got a, a website, theohicks.org. That's where I have I post all my podcasts. I'm actually going to start, after a couple of weeks, start doing daily blog posts on quotes that I find interesting and kind of similar to that anecdote about the Tony Robbins story, just kind of how that applies to life and, and whatnot. And as you said, kind of expanding my, I wouldn't call it business, but just expanding the information that I'm trying to put out there. So yeah, theohicks.org. And you can subscribe to the Unplugged podcast on iTunes. Awesome. All right, Theo. Talk to you later, my friend. All right, Joe, thanks. If you're a wholesaler or wanting to wholesale, then you've got to check out this video. It's at wholesalinginc.com. It's a interview that Tom Kroll, and if you recognize Tom's name, well, that's because he was a guest on episode 395. He has documented his conversation with a motivated seller. So you hear from when he gets out of his car all the way to the very end when he's talking to the neighbors about different houses on the street. If you're into wholesaling or want to get into wholesaling, go listen to it. Go to wholesalinginc.com and go check that out.